Welcome to Season 4 of the Raise Your Game Show, a podcast that unpacks and dissects the strategies and principles of high performance in sports and business. I'm your host, Alan Stein Jr. Let's do it. In this season, I unpack the key stories and lessons from my book, Raise Your Game, high-performance secrets from the best of the best. If you've already read or listened to my book, please enjoy the reinforcement and reminders. Remember, repetition is not punishment. If this is all new to you, I hope you find this content helpful. You can order the full audiobook at audible.com or wherever audiobooks are sold. You can also order the paperback or hard copy version for you or your entire team or organization at raiseyourgamebook.com. Now, before I get started, I wanted to share one more thing. Do you have a son or daughter that is a middle school, high school, or college-age student-athlete? If so, I just created an online course called Your Game Plan, Student-Athlete Edition. It is an on-demand digital course that reinforces the traits, habits, and mindset necessary for student-athletes to achieve high performance academically and athletically. This course is a comprehensive collection of concepts I've shared with numerous college and professional coaches and D1 athletes that teach proven strategies on how to achieve maximum performance, create championship caliber habits, develop a winner's mindset, be the teammate you want to play with, and to lead authentically with impact. This course was designed for the student-athletes that are truly committed to their growth and development and want to be the best they're capable of. If that is your son or daughter, this is the best investment you can make. Your Game Plan Student-Athlete Edition will launch at the beginning of next week. It will open with a limited-time offer to save 30% and receive a ton of free, exclusive bonuses. The sooner you order, the more you'll get, and the more you'll save. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Alan Stein Jr. Subscribe to my email list at allensteinjr.com or keep listening to the rest of this season for specific launch details. In today's episode, we explore Chapter 13 from the Team section, which focuses on role clarity. Many players I've coached didn't look special on paper, but in the process of creating a role for themselves, they grew into formidable champions. Phil Jackson. Of course, talent is important in any field, but there's not a single industry where it exists in a vacuum. People can excel only when they're allowed to do so, when they're put in a position to succeed, when they're in a place where their role and the roles of those around them is clearly defined. This is an underrated but hugely important aspect of teamwork. In some ways, it is the very definition of teamwork. It's literally how teams work. Clear roles function as a map keeping team members on track, ensuring they don't walk all over each other, and trusting that important issues don't get missed. Team sports are a perfect illustration of this. The roles are clearly identified, and analyzing what went right or wrong on any given play or game can be isolated to figure out who's responsible. That doesn't mean blame. That means making the necessary adjustments and figuring out how to fix it for the next time. Role clarity is a big picture idea. It means a team understands what the person to his left and to his right is responsible for. He knows how what he does affects those two team members as well as everyone else. It's understanding how the machine works. A team is a jigsaw puzzle. 
and the only way for that puzzle to be completed is if each part sits properly together with the others. The picture won't make sense any other way. A leader must examine every person on the team, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and what motivates or demotivates them. Remember, the right role isn't always what a player wants it to be. It's what he needs it to be for the puzzle to come together. The best coaches bring this out in their weaker players so that the unit stays strong and invested. The worst coaches spend all their energy on the stars, missing an opportunity to motivate and utilize their other players. The strongest teams are made up of people who know exactly what their and everyone else's role is, and there's a mutual trust that everyone will execute their function. No one can be his best if he has to worry about other people's responsibilities, if he can't trust that those things will be done. Victor finds his role. NBA All-Star Victor Oladipo is a shining example of a player who, in various situations, has flourished by understanding and maximizing his role. I've known Victor since he was in high school, and he has always worked as though he was trying to make the team. I'm still in a situation where I feel like I haven't accomplished anything, he told me on my podcast. When you realize how far he's already come, how few people make it to the NBA at all and lead their team to the playoffs... That's an amazing statement. It's also the attitude that leads to greatness. I began working at DeMatha during Victor's senior year. When the high school basketball season ended and his obligation to attend off-season workouts ceased, he still chose to come. Yep, that was his work ethic. As an 18-year-old nearing graduation, with the season over, he still came to school for every 6 a.m. morning workout. Suffice to say, even at DeMatha, this was not something seniors typically did. Victor took pride in leading by example and serving as a mentor to the younger returning players. He knew his role as a veteran and recognized how much his attitude and actions impacted the others. The fact that this was a team that Victor would never again play for only proves the point. He understood his role and fulfilled it long after he was required to do so. Victor has always been a team-first guy. I think it's because he didn't experience individual success and the attention that comes with it until his later years of high school. He began as a role player, alongside guys getting more shots and more attention. When he left DeMatha for Indiana University, he knew the transition and the role change was not going to be easy. He admitted to me that he knew he was a late bloomer at DeMatha and that my work ethic is the one thing that kept me going. It was not until his breakout junior year at Indiana that Victor elevated himself again, in his own eyes and in the eyes of NBA scouts, this time to be one of the NCAA's top prospects. He told me that it was how I affected my team, how I helped them win. That's when I realized I could play at the next level. That's key. It's not that his shooting or passing or defense got better, although they all did. Victor's rise to the upper echelon of college basketball hinged on how well he could play as one-fifth of a team on the court. That's what NBA scouts want to see. And unless your name is LeBron James, working as part of a cohesive unit is the only way to succeed in the NBA. Actually, it's true for LeBron, too. I've followed Victor's career closely and have admired his willingness to accept a variety of roles. At DeMatha, at Indiana University, as an All-American and Sporting News Player of the Year, as the number two overall pick in the NBA draft, and in his stints with the Orlando Magic, Oklahoma City Thunder, and now with the Indiana Pacers. It has been a pleasure to watch Victor come into his own with the Pacers, stunning the league, becoming 2018's most improved player, and making the once-forgotten squad a legitimate playoff threat. 
It has also helped been a validation for him. Note to listener, he graduated from Indiana University in three years after taking 19 credits in his final semester. In Oklahoma City, Oladipo was stifled in his role, and a big part of that was that it didn't exist. He was stuck playing second fiddle to that year's MVP, Russell Westbrook, perhaps the most ball-dominant guard of the modern era. With no clear role for Oladipo in the backcourt with Westbrook, there was no way for him to show what he could do. Consequently, Oladipo plateaued. He didn't whine, complain, or point fingers. He simply couldn't flourish in that environment. It took the right situation for Victor to thrive and the right role for him to shine. He blossomed once he found a team that knew what to do with him. Both his leadership and his team-oriented play have come to the forefront. Since joining the Indiana Pacers, Victor has flourished for three reasons. Number one, he has worked relentlessly on his game. He spent countless hours in the gym raising his strengths and tightening up his weaknesses, even totally revamping his body in the offseason to develop bulk and muscle. Number two, he is the ultimate team player, willing to do whatever the team needs him to do to be successful. Victor won't let pride or ego get in the way of doing what his coaches and teammates require. He learned this at DeMatha and carried it to Indiana University and the NBA. Number three, he found a better fit with his current team. Not a better team necessarily, a better fit. His strengths aligned perfectly with what the Pacers needed. His talents were not being utilized with the Magic and the Thunder. The role they needed him to play didn't factor in his strengths. Victor has more freedom and opportunity with the Pacers and is on his way to becoming the best player he can be. Though Oladipo had once been written off in some circles, he has recently opened everyone's eyes. It reminded the basketball world of one of the most enduring truths. You have to put the player in a position to succeed. Give him a role that matches his strengths and give him room to grow. MJ before MJ. The legend of Michael Jordan by now is well known, but the story of his Chicago Bulls team has somehow gotten lost, buried in the myth of Michael and his transcendent play. People forget, or don't even know, that the Chicago Bulls were not immediate champions when he joined the team, or even a couple of years in. The Bulls were regularly shut down in the playoffs, often by the Detroit Pistons. In fact, Jordan did not make the NBA Finals until his seventh season. Did Jordan improve in those years? Yes, of course, but he was pretty dominant by year three. The Bulls did not win their first championship because of any big leap Jordan made. He had to do it with everyone else around him. Once the role player positions were filled and Jordan accepted them in those roles, the Bulls finally rolled over the Pistons on their way to the finals and subsequently rolled over everyone in the finals as well. It wasn't just about Jordan's teammate, all-star and all-defensive stalwart Scottie Pippen elevating his game either. It was about all his teammates knowing how they fit in the grand scheme. Horace Grant, John Paxson, Bill Cartwright, B.J. Armstrong, and everyone down the line. It was up to coach Phil Jackson to find a way for each player to know, embrace, and then make the most of his individual role. They each had to accept where they fit, and Jordan had to let them succeed in those roles. There's a famous story that illustrates this so well. During a timeout in the close and decisive Game 5 of the 1991 Finals, Jackson screamed at Jordan, Who's open, Michael? Who's open? Pax, Jordan reluctantly admitted, meaning outside shooter John Paxson. Get him the fucking ball, Jackson replied. It is a pivotal moment in the Bulls' lore, and for good reason. Once Pax could prove he could knock down his shots, and Jordan trusted he would, everything gelled. 
Steve Kerr, who played with Jordan and for coach Phil Jackson during the Bulls' second string of championships, felt Jackson was exceptionally gifted in keeping everyone involved and letting every player know he had a role. Kerr told David Halberstam in Playing for Keeps, Jordan's role was a given, but according to Kerr, the players also knew that if they did not do their parts and were not ready at all times, nothing good would ever happen either. The fact that Kerr then went on to become one of the top coaches in the league, finding a way to make all the alphas in Golden State coexist, is not a coincidence. He learned from the master. As he told an interviewer, What struck me about Phil was just the inclusion, making everybody feel important. 1 to 15 on the roster. Every guy felt like he had a role to play. Jackson emphasized that the way he went about his business, the 15th man matters. That's good advice in any setting, whether you're running a business or a classroom. You can make the people who may not think that they matter feel like they do. It's an incredibly powerful force. That's what leadership is to me, galvanizing, empowering, making people feel good about themselves, but also that everything they do matters. Great teams understand the feedback loop. Every person is responsible for his own role, and every person is accountable to the team's mission. We can't win without your doing your part, but you can't win without all of us doing ours. Among all the legendary teams Jackson has been a part of, perhaps the greatest was the 1995-96 Chicago Bulls, whose 69 regular season wins was a record at the time. One thing I loved about this team, Jackson wrote in his book, was that everyone had a clear idea about their roles and performed them well. Nobody groused about not getting enough playing time or enough shots or enough notoriety. Jackson had a sixth sense about how to get his players to find, understand, and shine in their role. The most effective thing you can do on the court is know, embrace, and fulfill your role to the best of your ability. That's what builds championship teams. Many teams have the right people in the wrong positions, which is fixable. It's important for teams to take stock of whether or not they are utilizing people in a way that capitalizes on their strengths. And don't forget, if you're on the bench, and we're all on the bench in some capacity, you also have a role to play. Here are the three traits you must exude while you wait to get in the game. Be engaged. Care about what is going on around you. Be enthusiastic. Show that you care about what is going on around you. Try to bring infectious and positive energy to those who are playing. Be ready for the moment when your name is called and make the most of the opportunity. The Challenge of the Big Three Clear roles also become necessary when there is an overabundance of talent at the top. Accumulating the most qualified people doesn't just automatically generate success. The group needs to operate in harmony, and when strong personalities are each used to being the number one guy, a lack of role clarity becomes a problem. When LeBron James and Chris Bosh joined Dwayne Wade's Miami Heat in 2010, the anticipation was electric and the hype was through the roof. Three superstars on one team, way back in 2010, was a rarity. But few remember that the big three were not as immediately successful as many had predicted. For one thing, they dropped far too many close games. Some analysts understood the problem. Wade, LeBron, and Bosh had all been the leader on their respective teams. But when they joined up, they couldn't figure out who would play what role. It was not just about ego or self-perception. It had on-the-court consequences. With seconds remaining in a game, when a last shot had to be set up, not knowing who does what, is a very big deal. It wasn't just the eye test either. The numbers back it up. 
In late-game situations, the Heat's execution and coordination were disastrous, wrote friend and foe author Adam Galinsky and Maurice Schweitzer. Their record in close games was the second worst in the league. Considering their talent and the fact that they had made it to the finals that year, this statistic really drives home the importance of having clear roles. At a certain point, adding more top talent caused teams' winning percentage to go down rather than up, the authors determined. These teams had too much talent. Without clear roles, adding talent doesn't do anything. It might even drag a team down. This idea is universal and transfers elsewhere. Studies have shown that when there's an excess of talents at a Wall Street company, it backfires. Top talent was beneficial for performance, according to Galinsky and Schweitzer, but only up to a point. The effect of more talent turned negative and started to harm performance. When there is too much talent, the stars and high-status individuals compete among themselves to establish who the alpha dog is. A team doesn't come together once some overall talent threshold is reached. A team becomes a team when each piece is locked into place and each player is accepting of and comfortable with that place. The Puzzle Part of the credit to the Heat's figuring it all out should go to head coach Eric Spolstra, who proved to be an exceptional leader. Like Spolstra, the premier college basketball coaches lean heavily on role clarity. The head coaches have to get through to players, who've been the best players on the court for most of their lives. When these players arrive at a top program like Duke or Villanova, they have to learn how to fit in a lot more than they did in high school. When I asked Villanova's coach Jay Wright what the key was to getting these players to buy into their roles, he told me, they have to believe that the role that you're giving them is really best for them in the long run. I think guys will sacrifice in the short term for their team if they believe that is going to pay off for them. With two titles in three years, Wright has obviously found a way to keep everyone involved, from his stars all the way down to his practice squad. In fact, Nova's leading scorer for the 2018 championship game was six-man Dante DiVinzio, who scored 31 off the bench, a record for a bench player in the title game. It led to looks from NBA scouts and getting drafted 17th overall because he thrived in his role in Wright's system, a huge plus for prospective NBA players. With full credit to this young man for his big-time performance, I can't help but think that Wright's philosophy of treating everyone as valuable in their respective roles gave Dante the confidence to shine. Wright clearly developed a system throughout the season where each player accepted his role. With each season, he had an instinct for how to get buy-in from each of them. Your instincts can grow with your experience, Wright told me in our interview. Combining that, that's your wisdom. Superstar Nova player Mikael Bridges began as a role player, then moved to six-man, and became the team's leader in his third year, obviously impressing Wright with how he fulfilled each role he was given. He, too, is headed for the NBA, as are two other players from that championship team, Amari Spellman and Jalen Brunson. Succeeding in their roles under Wright's system made these players attractive to the NBA, where no one can do anything alone. Star in your role. In basketball, a lot of players want to be the primary offensive weapon. That's what's sexy and gets the attention. When we're young and imagining ourselves in the final seconds of a big game, no one imagines themselves getting a key rebound or setting a killer pick. We picture ourselves taking the final shot. But as we mature, we understand that winning is not just about who gets lifted up on everyone's shoulders. That's for the movies. Success is not about being the star. It's about starring in your role. Over time, people will notice and that that role will expand. If you're not a team's three-point shooter now, make 200 to 300 after practice from game spots at game speed. Then you'll earn your way to becoming the team's three-point weapon in crunch time. 
A leader's primary job is to find out what each team member does really well and how to best utilize that skill set for the team's benefit. Then he must get everyone on the team to understand, embrace, and star in his role. Roles on any team must be clearly communicated by the leader. This needs to be explicit and consistent. Players must have the humility to accept their role. However, it's up to the coach to make sure that role and the reasoning behind it is properly communicated. If there's an employee who is always stepping out of his role and throwing off team chemistry, ask yourself this, does he know what his role is? Are you sure? Go find out. Steps to clarifying roles. Clearly establish and communicate each individual's role. Create buy-in and believe in with their role. Praise those who star in their role, regardless of what that role is. That third step is extremely important. It's up to leaders to communicate each teammate's value. For example, a coach needs to sit down with the 10th man, who rarely gets in to play the game, and say, look, I know you don't get a lot of minutes, but your ability to push our starting point guard in practice is invaluable to this team. If you didn't do that every single day, he wouldn't be the player he is, and if he wasn't, we wouldn't be this successful. Ideally, the leader needs to acknowledge this point in front of others as well, so the role player can feel recognized for his contributions in a group setting. If you have someone who works under you, who is unmotivated, or annoyed that he's not getting recognition or a bigger role, give this a try. Praise him both privately and in front of others. I guarantee you'll see a difference in his attitude and his output. The Power of Role Players the great NBA and college basketball teams are not successful just because of their stars. There are lots of stars in the league, and up to a certain point, they cancel each other out in head-to-head matchups. Every team in the playoffs has a star. That's just how the league works. Team A's star gets his points, and Team B's star gets his, and it's the role players that end up making the difference. The Spurs of the past decade and the Warriors of the present decade consist of stars, but those guys alone are not what makes them champions. The defensive specialists and spot-up shooters and locker room glue guys, along with the stars, all have to buy into their respective roles. For the operation to run smoothly, they have to be happy to serve the whole. If you watch a Warriors game, you'll see MVP-level play from Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, but you won't see isolated stars grinding out their points. You'll see a high-level machine firing on all cylinders. In 2018, the Spurs were without their only star, Kawhi Leonard, for just about all season, and their record still put them atop the playoff picture. It doesn't mean Kawhi isn't amazing. It means the rest of the team bought into their new roles and learned how to function without him. The same goes for college powerhouses like Duke and Kentucky. Coaches Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari recruit and mold players who are happy to serve a function, not just put up stats and end up on highlight reels. They convince the players that serving the whole by playing their role is important. That not only will this approach get them a national championship, but it'll also put them in a position to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. NBA phenom Jeremy Lin built his game by doing what needed to be done along the way. He was undrafted out of college at Harvard, waved multiple times, and bounced around to a few teams before catching the NBA world by storm for the New York Knicks in 2012 in what was dubbed Linsanity. At that moment, in New York, the energy and heroics that Lin brought were exactly what the team and the town needed. But he couldn't do that everywhere. If he'd tried, he would have been out of the league by the next year. He figured out how to approach each situation and locate his role. Then he executed the hell out of it. 
When I was on the Charlotte Hornets, Len told me in an interview, I took a lesser role to fill a void on the team, playmaking off the bench. We ended up doing much better than all the preseason polls predicted, and it was one of the most fun seasons I've ever had playing basketball. Wait, what? Let me say that again. Jeremy Lin, who for a couple of weeks as a 24-year-old was the absolute king of New York, had more fun playing a smaller role in Charlotte than he did during his time atop of the mountain? That is the definition of someone who is happy to fill his role. That's a true team player. Lin is now with the Atlanta Hawks, serving a different role there as well. His success is a testament to his openness and adaptability. I think of clear roles like a pit team changing the tires on a race car. They are in lockstep. Each person knows his task and executes it with precision to get that car back on the track in minimal time. It's one of the finest examples of people fulfilling their roles I have witnessed, and it gets me every time I see it. Here's a self-test. Think about the most important responsibilities you're expected to fulfill in your role. Can you list them? How can you do each better? Have you met with your boss to discuss how you could better fulfill your role? Have you done your outside work, conducted research, or found other ways to improve how you fulfill your role? Why not? Where you stand. Understanding and buying into your role requires a mix of humility and confidence. Humility is necessary so you understand that you're not operating alone that you're a necessary, but not the only, piece on the team. Confidence is required to take that role and absolutely crush it. Maximize what can be done in that position, and very often, it will expand or lead to newer and bigger roles. Then you can do it all over again. Key point. A team needs to understand that it is an interlocking puzzle, where each shape and size is distinct, necessary, and valuable to the whole. Remember, Role clarity comes from the leader. Accepting and embracing that role is up to the individual. Begin with fulfilling your current role. Do what your team needs you to do, not what you want to do, what you feel like doing, or what is convenient for you. If possible, spend extra time earning an expanded or new role. It is vital that leaders acknowledge the so-called role players, those who don't get highlights and headlines. Don't assume that a collection of top talent will automatically generate success. Becoming a unit involves an understanding and acceptance of roles. Well, that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to join my conversations at Allen Stein Jr. on all major social platforms and go to allensteinjr.com to subscribe to my full timeout, 30-second timeout, and overtime monthly emails. I look forward to helping you raise your game. <laughs>